Welcome to the Travel Like a Boss podcast, where we interview location-independent entrepreneurs that travel the world like a boss by being their own boss. Here's your host, Johnny FD. Hola, and welcome to episode 234 of the Travel Like a Boss podcast. I am here in Plano Carmen, Mexico. Today's guest is Rainier. Welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going, Johnny? Thanks for having me. Yeah, doing fantastic. And First off, I want to say lo siento and sorry to everyone for not having an episode come out for almost a month. I didn't realize how long it's been because I've just been so swamped with the Invest Like a Boss Summit, then the Nomad Summit, and then just hanging out here in Playa. So I was like, hey, Rainier, we got to record a podcast tonight. And he's like, yeah, I'll be right over. Yep, sounds good. I was like, we had a long weekend. I had a couple sniffles going up. It's like, all right, I got to come here and do it, make it happen. So thanks again. Yeah, I love it. So... You were actually at both events. That was actually perfect. Uh, the Invest Like a Boss and the Nomad Summit? Yeah, it worked out. It was cool. Um, I know you were planning to make it in Las Vegas initially, and so I probably would have made it, flew out there for a day, but it worked out being kind of in my backyard in LA. And so a couple of weeks later, <laughs> we're out here in Playa doing this interview, so it worked out. Yeah, that's super cool. And so this episode, I kind of want to recap on both events, uh, kind of like takeaways from it, but also the fun stuff uh, about how, what Cancun is like, what Playa del Carmen is like, and also now we've been in like Tulum. So it's, I think it's going to be kind of a fun episode that's a mix between a recap, but also like a travel like like a travel episode. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, kind of just generalizing the Invest Like a Boss Summit, that was really cool. There was some heavy hitters in attendance that were speakers, attendees, a lot of great nuggets of information for anyone looking at those type of financial various types of assets. And then kind of turning it around on the Travel Like a Boss Summit, it was cool kind of getting to see a lot of people that I saw a year ago from the Vegas Nomad Summit catching up and then going more geared towards the traveling thing. So uh, I, I wouldn't say there's that much crossover from a lot of people that I saw from the Nomad Summit at the Travel Like a Boss one, but it was really cool to see kind of both worlds. Yeah, and, and just so people aren't confused, the Travel Like a Boss event is based, is the Nomad Summit. I, I think just a lot of people come to it because of the podcast. So some people refer to it as the Travel Like a Boss Summit, but it's just the Nomad Summit. Cool. <laughs> All right. Uh, so... I, you know, actually, quick background on you. Like, like where, are you, where are you from? What do you do? Um, so I actually was born in Muscat, Oman. My parents are Filipino, so I'm uh, blood oh, Filipino. Nice. But I was born in Oman. When my parents, <laughs> um, so my parents were working overseas. They had me there. And then when I was four years old, we uh, trekked over here into the U.S. And I'm a first generation, first generation immigrant. And I guess I can call Salinas, California, my hometown. That's where Salinas. I spent the most. Yeah. You know, what's funny is I dated a girl, a Filipino girl from Salinas. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. It's, it's a good mix of people, pretty diverse. And a lot of my close friends out there, you know, taught me some Spanish, uh, you know, cooked up some good Mexican food. And so, you know, it's cool to experience the same culture down here. So for people who have no idea where Salinas is, mm -hmm. It's kind of like a few hours south of San Francisco, like near Gilroy, is it? Yeah, exactly. Just south of Gilroy, maybe 20 minutes south of there. Okay. So just like two, three, three hours south of San Francisco? Yeah, about two, three hours south of San Francisco and about 20 minutes from Monterey. I typically tell people, hey, I'm from Monterey or San Jose or San Francisco, just okay. to kind of generalize it. Yeah. 
I, I think even people that grew up in San Francisco have no idea where it is. <laughs> people in LA is like, what? What is that? Yeah, exactly. E- even when I was in Southern California, like a lot of people didn't know where Salinas was. So I would just say Monterey or San Jose. Yeah, makes sense. And, and what is your job? Uh, so I am a commercial real estate broker. I help buyers and sellers transact single tenant investment properties in the US. Um, kind of in layman's terms, it's kind of like selling bonds that just happen to be backed by investment real estate okay that's cool actually actually so what's funny uh for you guys who are listening is my cousin jacob is sitting on the couch he came to visit jacob you want to come to say hi real quick he's actually a residential real estate agent based in in uh orange county la brea hi how are you doing guys so he just came out he was at the invest like boss summit and he just came out to play uh, just to hang out and scuba dive so (laughs) he just happens to be here right now yeah. So you actually went diving for your first time the other day, right? Yeah. On Saturday, I was at the underwater museum in Cancun. And so that was an experience that was like seeing a whole new world for the first time. It was almost like traveling outside of the US for the first time. Honestly, there's like so much wildlife and it's so calming and so much nature, so much to see. So you mean underwater or being in Cancun? <laughs> <laughs> or underwater, underwater. Okay. Cancun, I would, I would say it's a, it's a really good time. But underwater, it's super calm and mellow. And it's almost like a meditative state, I guess you can say. Do you think, I mean, like, when was the first time you thought about scuba diving? I actually really wanted to go in Chiang Mai with the group after the Nomad Summit. And I had to fly back home and I was really like, you know, sad about it. And I was like, you know what? I need to do it when I come out here for the next Nomad Summit. I couldn't go with the rest of the group because it was midweek, but I ended up going over the weekend and it was a good time. Okay, cool. Yeah. So one thing that we've like, we've been really trying hard to do, but we're really going to promise to do now is just to give people more of an idea of the after events after the Nomad Summit. You know, like we try, we tell people like, "Hey, stay for one or two weeks after because we're gonna do stuff." But it's really hard for us to tell people exactly what we're gonna do on which days, especially when we, you know, had the nomad somewhere somewhere new like Cancun, which none of us have been to. So, you know, the most like I'm able to do is come two weeks early, like scope the place out, you know, find the cool stuff. But then even then, it's kind of hard to like set exact dates because things like scuba diving, we need like exact headcounts, and if and a lot of people. You know, don't want to commit that early. They're not really sure. They kind of wait until they're here and then they're, they're like hanging out with people. They're like, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. So like part of it is it's hard to plan these things until a few days before anyways. So we like what we've been doing is telling people like, hey, just, you know, we're going to go to Playa del Carmen after for this week. You know, this is what we're going to do. And I think this time we we had loose days. We're like, okay, we're going to go diving on Thursday. We're going to do, you know, Chichinitsa Cenotes on Sunday. So that kind of worked out. But next year, we definitely want to make it like way more planned in advance and actually probably just have a way to, for people to, to book online and say, we have 30 spots. If they're taken, sorry, like, like you know, that's it. Yeah, that makes sense. It's funny because for digital nomads, it's, it's almost like herding cats because everyone plans everything so last minute. So even if you have all of these different plans, it's really hard to kind of pin everyone down at certain dates. But at the end of the day, there's so much people that are here for the events, whether they're here for the Nomad Summit or they're just part of this local community we usually round up a good amount of people to go. Yeah, it was dope. On the boat that we went on uh, to go to Cosmel, on the like two days after the summit, we had I think forty people on the boat, and everybody was either diving or snorkeling. It was a lot of people's first time as well, and that was dope. Yeah, that that looked awesome. Yeah, so I think it's kind of been a 
kind of weird overlap of my old job of being a dive master mm-hmm. and now really just being a hobby within like one of the traditions of the nomad summit is to find a place to go scuba diving like afterwards just for fun like just because it's something cool to introduce people to and also something fun for like travelers to do yeah it's cool i, I love that part of it being included to kind of like go to the summit go scuba diving and it's almost like they go hand in hand because you're doing the travel thing and you're discovering new places and you're really opening your eyes to like what's out there that you're not really used to. So it was, it's, it's good. It's awesome. Yeah, definitely. And I don't know if I can promise this like every single trip, you know, forever. Cause especially in Chiang Mai, some people might be thinking like there's no ocean there. Mm-hmm. So what we all did was we all hopped on the same flight from Chiang Mai down to Koh Lanta. I, th- I think there was like 20 something of us. And then we all went diving down there. So. I don't know if I'm going to join the trip this time, but I'll, I'll definitely organize something for, for people to to go diving together if they want. But we, we're, we're definitely going to do some trips in Chiang Mai together. Yeah, definitely. I think one thing that I'm taking back home is to really get certified before the next summit because, you know, it's, it's a really good time. Cancun is like a hot spot for, for diving and the cenotes. So I'm sure, you know, all the rest of the Nomad Summits are going to be pretty close to other uh, hot dive spots. Yeah, We'll try to make that happen. So I actually never, like, I actually didn't know what a snow tail was until I got here. <laughs> have you, have, like, did you know what it was? Like, have you heard of it? I heard of it because I was Googling things to do out here and then I read up on it, but it's not like, you know, I, in Salinas or anything, someone was like, hey, you got to go to cenotes. Like, I, I looked it up after researching it. Like, do, are there cenotes in other countries? I don't think so. I'm, I'm not sure. That's a good question. Yeah, because like, I've never heard of it. I mean, I've traveled a lot of places, right? Mm-hmm. All around Asia, all around Europe, you know, it's like South Africa. I've never seen or even heard of a cenote until I got here. Yeah, they're extremely beautiful. Clear water, you're swimming with a bunch of different fish, turtles. There's like underground like tunnels that you could probably dive in between and through. And there's hundreds, if not thousands of them here in Mexico. I've heard there's 5,000 of them here in Mexico. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, okay, let's explain it. Like, what is a cenote for, for people that don't know? So from my understanding, it's an underwater type of thing that was created back in like, I don't know if it was like the dinosaur age or what exactly. I need to research on it, to be honest. Do, do you have an idea? I don't know how old it is. They're, they're, they're definitely that old. They're, mm-hmm. they're like dinosaur age. Mm-hmm. And they're basically like an underground, is it a spring or something that like floods with water, but then there's like a cavern so you can mm-hmm. go in. So they're all different. But at least the ones that I've been to, it's like back in the day, in the Mayan days, like thousands of years ago, they would just throw people down there as like human sacrifice. Oh, yeah. Or to like kill people. Yeah. I think uh, when I was reading a little bit about Chichen Itza before our trip over there, I think the cenote that we saw, we didn't get to swim in there. But I think that was one of the places where people would be sacrificed. They would get killed and then thrown down in the cenote. Yeah, because think about it. Like now there's like staircases that people build or ladders. Back then, if you got thrown down there, there's no way up. Yeah. So it was basically just a natural pit where they would throw you down and then you either get hit on the rocks or you hit the water, but you can't get back up and you basically just die there. Yeah, I can't imagine being thrown down there and just, you know, being kind of alive for a few more days. That's, that's insane. Yeah, and a lot of them have no natural light down there. So it's just pitch black. So it sounds so scary, and it was. But now that we have modern technology, uh, the ones that didn't have natural light, they use electricity to light them up. And then all of them, they built like staircases or 
you know, roads down there or even like where ladders so that you can get in and out easily. So now they become these beautiful places with crystal clear water. And like you're like surrounded by like a cavern basically. You're like you're like inside the rock. And the ones that I've been to were the ones that the one that we went to on Chichen Itza, that was beautiful because it was all rock surrounding it. It's like a crater, but then you can see the sky. So the sun comes down mm-hmm. and the water was so clean and so clear. And there's a little ledge where you can go and just like cliff jump off of it. Yeah, I think there was almost like a little miniature waterfall with like the sun coming down, water kind of dripping down. It was cool. Like you would think it's like almost man-made, but it's all a natural wonder. It's amazing. Yeah, and honestly, I don't think man can make something that beautiful. Like, yeah, it was perfect. Yeah, it's I, awesome. I had like jungle vines growing down it. It was, I mean, it's so nice. Uh, if you guys want to see what it looks like, there's actually a video of us jumping off that cliff. And actually, of us in Chichen Itza, which we'll talk about in a second. Uh, if you go on YouTube, look for Johnny FD and look for the three must-do things while you're in Plano Carmen. It's in that video. Cool. So, let's talk about uh, Chichen Itza. What is that? So, Chichen Itza was, from my understanding, one of the Mayan capitals of this region. So, it was full of commerce. It was bustling with a lot of people. The architecture and some of the foundations that they had were ahead of their time. And so it was really cool to just see something that was that old with, you know, you kind of get that feeling when you're at that one sacrificial cenote of like, wow, you know, there's a lot of history behind here and a lot of different things, good and bad. But at the end of the day, these were humans just like us walking around and kind of believing different things with different belief systems and it was really cool to be able to see something built back then that's still around. Yeah, it, it's crazy. That, like we always think about the pyramids in Egypt, mm-hmm. but there's pyramids here in Mexico, and, like they're, they're and they were all built around the same time, which is pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. Like there was no email back then. There's mm-hmm. no no like WhatsApping. Like hey, you built that pyramid? Like, mm-hmm. and they're all kind of similar. Yeah. So it's kind of crazy how all these different civilizations that had no contact with each other built pyramids at the same time. Yeah, exactly. And the cool thing too. Our tour guide was explaining, you know, some of the pyramids line up directly matching the solar system. And whenever certain times of the season come, the light hits perfectly through the top of the pyramid where you can see it, you know, on a very exact angle. Do you remember kind of what he was saying? Yeah. So the main Chichen building, the, the main pyramid, first off, it's built with exactly 360 steps which is the Mayan calendar. So instead of having 365 days, it has 360. And then there was like the four sides of it where the sun would shine through. And it was like, I think during the solstice or during like very like specific, uh, like t- like astrological times, it would just kind of all line up perfectly. So people would first off know like when certain big events for them were, but also it's just like a big, they were really into like astrology. And the sun, sun gods, and it's and it's crazy because they would you know kill people, <laughs> sacrifice people, based on these things. And there was a movie called Apocalypto by uh, directed by Mel Gibson that it's not you know completely historically accurate. Cause it's not like a documentary, but it's it shows kind of a lot of like what life was like back then and the, the sacrifices that they would do to try to appease the gods for you know uh, for the crops coming back and. It, I remember there was a, a scene in there where, actually, first off, have you seen the movie Apocalypto? I have not, and that's on my bucket list now. Dude, it is so good. It is crazy good. 
unfortunately, it's super hard to find now. It's not on Netflix. I don't think it's on Amazon. Like, you just have to, like, search for it. Because I think Mel Gibson got shunned by the Jewish community. Oh, wow. And all the Hollywood, like, everyone controlled Hollywood is Jewish. So, they were like, oh, let's, let's get rid of this movie. But it was a good movie. I mean, he's, a, like, you know, he's a genius in his own rights. Like, Braveheart was amazing. Apocalypse was amazing. What else What else did he direct? What else was he in? There's a lot of good ones. A lot of controversial ones. But, but at the end of the day, a lot of good ones. Yeah, he's like the Cayenne West of movies. Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> said, a perfect way to put it. He says some crazy things, but at the end of the day, he's like a, you know, he's an artist, right? So yeah, exactly. They're all, they're all a little bit crazy. Yeah. So, yeah, Apocalypto, there was a scene in it where the, I don't know, I don't, I don't know what they're called, like the leaders, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. The leaders of the tribe. They're on top of the pyramid, sacrificing people. We're telling people, like, thumbs up, thumbs down, like, sacrifice more, sacrifice more. And then the solstice came so the the sun got covered up and the sky turned black and leading up to this for like months or years there was like droughts the crops were failing and that's why they started you know like sacrificing and these leaders would tell their people like you know we've spoken to the gods and they're angry at us Uh, this is why we need to sacrifice people but if we if we appease them they'll they'll give us another chance and as soon as the solstice came they, there was a very tiny split second in the movie where they all looked at each other like they knew what was happening, but no one, none of the villagers knew like knew astrology. So these guys knew it was coming. They planned it. They planned to be up there. They planned mm-hmm. to be sacrificing people that day. Mm-hmm. And then they made this big speech saying like, "Gods, we're so sorry. Like you know, please you know bring the sun back." You know, everyone's like freaking out, right? Because there's no sun. Imagine that, like. Like, imagine being a villager, not, not having any idea what a summer solstice was, and the sky turns black for a minute. And you think you're going to die. You think it's the end of the world. You know, you think, you know, without the sun, you're freezing to death. There's no crops. And they were saying, like, you know, we, we, you know we've been, you know, sacrificing these people for you. You know, please bring us back the sun. You know, I, like, you know, I'm asking you. And the sun comes back. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, you know, like, oh, you know, you know, thanks so much. So these guys got so much power from that. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if the ancient Mayans believed in, I guess, is it astronomy? Or I actually don't know what the term is, but... I'm the, not sure to be yeah. exact either. But like the stars, you know, mm-hmm. these like astrology, no, astrology, yeah. it would be astrology, it mm-hmm. wouldn't be astronomy. Astrology or, you know, or like the sun gods and things like that. And they build all these crazy things to really try to appease them. Mm-hmm. Or if this was kind of a ploy by really kind of the, the rich and powerful mm-hmm. to ca- gain and keep more power. Wow. That's actually a pretty good, yeah, it makes sense. Either way, it makes sense. Yeah. So it's, it, yeah. So it's amazing to see it because like you're there and you're just like, wow, this is, this is where all this happened. And it's, it's just like a powerful feeling. Yeah, exactly. And the cool thing too, is I think when the Spaniards came, they, you know, really burned everything, most things there. So what we're seeing today is what's left of it. So imagine when it was 100% what it was back then. Yeah, it, it's, it's pretty cool. And Chichen Itza, I think a big part of it is rebuilt. But I actually, I liked seeing the other side where they never finished rebuilding it because mm-hmm. you can really see what it was like. Yeah, that was cool. On the back side of the pyramid, it's like only half renovated while the front side where everyone takes their pictures is fully renovated. Yeah, but I'm, I'm actually, I hope they kind of just keep it... <laughs> Like, not fully renovated because it, it looks more authentic. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So, one really cool thing about that Chichen Itza trip was we were able to do it in a private group with just people from Nomad Summit. 
I think we invited along like one or two other nomad friends, uh, but it was just us. It was like 30 of us. And we had an entire bus that holds like 45 people. Yeah, it felt like a field trip with, you know, half of the bus empty. We had our own private driver. We were kind of making pit stops along the way. It was really cool. It was, even though it took maybe an hour or so to get there, it was another bonding experience to really chat with other people from the Nomad Summit. Yeah, and that was like a big part of it is we could have, it would have been easier for us just to go on a public tour. Actually, would have been a little bit cheaper too. Mm -hmm. Would have been like 10 bucks cheaper and way easier to organize. If I was like, all right, guys, just sign up for this day. Yeah. But we wouldn't have that same feeling of, like bonding, networking, just knowing we're all there kind of for the same reasons. And another big benefit of it was we didn't have to pick up random people. Like normally that bus drives around for like an hour picking people up at the hotels, different stops. And they actually would normally drive to Tulum, which is an hour away to stop by their office for some stupid reason (laughs) or pick up more people and then go. Mm -hmm. So it ends up being a three and a half or four hour, actually like a four hour trip there. Yeah. But because all of us met at the Bob, you know, Marley coffee shop <laughs> next to Selena, and we all just got in at the same time, we went straight there, and we were able to take the tow road, and we shaved off another hour from that. I think we each chipped another, like, two bucks for that. It was yeah. well worth it. And then we got in, I think, right around the opening hour, so it wasn't too packed. Yeah, so it wasn't too hot yet, and there mm-hmm. wasn't that many people yet, which exactly. is great. And all the normal bus tours, what they do is they do... I think they do like uh, that one city, Valladolid Valle- first, and then they do the cenote, then they have lunch, and then they go to Chichen Itza in the afternoon where it's super hot and everybody arrives at the same time. And by us having our own pub, uh, private tour, we were able to do it backwards and we said, you know what, let's go straight to Chichen Itza. Let's uh, get get that out of the way. You know, while we we're so dry, number one, like I wouldn't even want to go there after I've been swimming the snow day. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And then like you're sitting on the bus all wet and everything, mm-hmm. you know, go there before it gets too hot for the swimming tourists. And then after you're out in the sun for two hours at Chichen Itza, then go to the snow day yep. and cool off. So that was perfect. Yeah. It was a good combo. Yeah. And then you're like, then you're hungry. So then you go eat. Yeah. And then you want to walk around. So then we go to Valigod and just walk around there. Yeah. Get some ice cream, get some drinks, yeah. uh, you know, kind of cool off a little bit before the ride home. What did you think of that that city? It was cool. It was a nice little quaint kind of hidden town. There was a church, I think, built in the 1500s. There were some festivities going on in the public park. I got to try some corn ice cream with a couple of buddies from the summit. Oh, yeah? And How it was, was cool. It was actually pretty good. It kind of beats the Gilroy garlic ice cream that I tried ah. back at home, but corn ice cream down here is pretty good, surprisingly. So that city, the one I can pronounce, Valladolid, Valladolid, was actually mentioned in episode two thirty one of the podcast uh, when we talked about kind of under touristed places that that are worth exploring, and I can see why why Nate liked it so much. It, it was it's a really cool, quaint city. It actually looks. Really similar to places in Spain or Portugal that normally I would go to. Yeah, I think the architecture was really cool, really awesome. And it's one of those places that are kind of off the grid until you kind of hear about it once you're in Cancun or in Playa. Yeah, and I think that's what's so cool about having kind of a loose travel schedule and coming, you know, going somewhere and saying, I'm just going to stay for a month afterwards. I'm going to get Airbnb and just chill. Is there so many cool places that are like not that well known once you get somewhere? Because 
once you get somewhere, then you're not just competing with everyone who's taking package tours or Googling stuff online like what to do. Because all those things, all those people will do all those things the first couple of days, maybe the first week. But once you're here for like the second, third, fourth week, that's when you're like, okay, what else? Like, what do the locals do? Like, what are the really cool, slightly out of the way places? Exactly, exactly. A lot of locals will say, hey, go to Valladolid, check out Bacalar. There's all of these different places that the locals like to do on their free time. So kind of get some of those recommendations as well on top of your Google recommendations. Yeah, and, and actually, like, it's like Chiang Mai is a good example. Like, if you're a tourist and you go to Thailand, you're probably just going to Bangkok, Phuket, <laughs> maybe Koh Phi Phi, maybe like Pattaya or like, you know, kind of the crappiest places. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But if you go to the Nomad Summit and you're like, okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to arrive early and stay a month after, I guarantee you're going to find all these cool things. You know, people want to tell you about places like Pi. Mm-hmm. Like this little hippie town a yeah. few hours away. Yeah. You sound like you've been there. You know about I it. I was there for the first time a few months ago. I actually got my tattoo there a few oh, months nice. ago. And so, you know, I didn't, I, it wasn't even on my radar. And once I got there, it's exactly what you said, like a hippie town kind of off the beaten path and its own little community where you get quote unquote stuck in the pie hole or lost in the pie hole. And you kind of, instead of, you know, you're planning to go there for a day or two, you end up going there for like a week or more. Yeah. And, and it's like, that's exactly what I'm talking about is you, like those are the things that you may kind of read about online, but it's really most people skip it. Either they run out of time or they didn't know about it and they have to leave. But if you, you know, if you work online or if you're, you know, uh, location dependent, I think this is the the big blessing we have is not only can we go places at the off season, but we can also stay and really like explore. Yeah, I agree. A lot of the places that you'll see on like a tour guided map or kind of top five things to do. The cool thing is if you stay two, three, four weeks out, you'll really get to know what the locals are doing and kind of the hidden gems. Just like in your backyard in California, you probably know a couple hidden spots that you'd show some people visiting the area. Yeah, for sure. Especially like restaurants. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, speaking of like coming like during like the non-high season, we came during the perfect time. So if we had come a few months earlier, like, you know, during the summer, like June, July, uh, August, it was, it's rainy season and it's, it's super hot, like hundred degree hot. And then if we came next month, November, December, it's high season. So it's super touristy and Mm -hmm. the prices go up like double. So the fact that we came in October and we had the Nomad Summit in October, it was perfect. The weather was great where on random days it'll rain for like an hour or two but the rest of the day would be sunny but not too hot and we had like a lot of places ourselves like a lot of places were just empty like the entire selena uh, cancun hotel zone was like really just us yeah exactly i agree i mean a lot of the activities too i mean they're not going to be as packed as the high season so you really get to enjoy take your time without being rushed at some of these historical places in Cenote. So it's really cool. Yeah. And you're not like uncomfortably crowded, you know? Mm-hmm. And what was the other, the other cool thing about it is the locals really appreciated us being there. Mm-hmm. Like I had like a ton of random like restaurant owners, bar owners, or even just like employees like come up and say, hey, you know, thanks for bringing all those people here because this is our slow season. And normally like it's like we have no food on the table. Like we like, they won't even like, I think I even one of the security guards was like, Hey, thanks. You know, cause they called me in today because they, we had a big group. And if it wasn't for you guys, I wouldn't like, I wouldn't have any work this week. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's, it's 
another reason why I really like going places in like the slow kind of not the slow season but the shorter season. Mm-hmm. So I I don't want to go somewhere when the weather is terrible, right? Because I still want to enjoy good weather. Yeah. But the same so at the same time I like going to places like when it's not a major holiday or like a school break, but like right before the the high seasons. Mm-hmm. So for example in Thailand. The best time to go to most places, especially Chiang Mai, is like November, where like November or beginning of December up to like December fifteenth, because just after, from December fifteenth through like you know through January, that's when you know people have school break. That's when Christmas is. That's when New Year's Eve is. So, so people are gonna go anyways. It's gonna be packed and expensive. But if you go like December first or or even November, the weather's still amazing. Everything's open. Everything's there. But everything's kind of just like ramping up, like, and it's things are just like half the price. People are still ha- like are super happy to see you, and it's just like a beautiful time. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and like Santorini, Greece was actually like another place too, where I've heard if you go in July or August or maybe September, like during the like whatever the, the high season is, people say it sucks. Like you can't walk anywhere. Everything is so expensive. Mm-hmm. And when I went in like April, I was like. This place is great. <laughs> like I was like walking around, like I had so much room to myself. There was it was nothing was crowded, and the weather was fine. Like it wasn't super hot, but it was just like it was perfect. Mm-hmm. So I I really think that this lifestyle that we we lead, you know, or a lot of people who listen to this are aiming to lead, has so many extra benefits when it comes to freedom of time and freedom of location to work. That it's like it's like the ultimate travel hack. We can go to the same places. That other people go on vacation, but we can stay one or two months instead of, you know, three or four days. And we can go during the shorter seasons where things are cheaper, people are friendlier, less crowded, you know, and it's just like life is better. Yeah, it makes the most sense. Like you said, I, my, my favorite thing is like everything is much cheaper. And when you compare it to, let's say, California costs, you know, my living expenses are like half or less than that when I'm coming to Mexico around this time of the year or Chiang Mai around that time of year. So it's it's really cool. Yeah, and I'm willing to bet your quality of life is like is much better. Yeah, exactly. You have no idea. I, I, I literally live a lifestyle of a broke college student back in California. And then when I come out here, I'm spending maybe half of my overhead expenses and I'm doing 10 times more. You know, I'm happy, healthy, meeting a lot of cool people, learning a lot about business. So overall, it just makes sense. Yeah, like it's such a good hack. It's like I feel bad for people who don't take advantage of this. Like the fact that it exists, the fact that there's the internet, the fact that there's other people doing this already, the fact that there's conferences like the Nomad Summit where you can not only learn from people who have done it, but also just meet other attendees who are doing it. Like it's just, I I honestly feel bad for anyone who is stuck at a job or stuck living somewhere and unhappy or stressed. Like, and, and maybe they don't know about this, you know? And this is why... I do this podcast, this is why I have the summit, and this is why I'm always so happy when people tell their friends and be like, hey, you should, you should check this out. Yeah, exactly. I think just knowing that that option is out there, why not take advantage of it? I mean, you think about 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, there was no choice of being able to live this lifestyle. You just couldn't. I mean, even for my parents being first-generation immigrants, they didn't have that luxury that we do today. So we really just got to take advantage of it, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I really like it. So... I know we kind of like very briefly went went over the the two conferences, but let's kind of go through it a little bit more in depth. Mm-hmm. So, how did you like? W- what made you go to the Invest Like a Boss Summit? 
I went to the Invest Like a Boss Summit, number one, because it was right in my backyard, so less than an hour drive for me. But more importantly, the level of speakers and the caliber of the speakers, not only the knowledge, but you're getting some high-profile people to go speak there to a small, tight group of less than 100 people. I go to conferences for real estate three, four times a year with 10, if not 20,000 people, and I'm paying 10 times the price. And I can't have the luxury to go and talk to those speakers one-on-one afterwards. That just doesn't happen. And for me to go ahead and talk to you know these 10 different speakers that you know have high, high track records and backgrounds, it was amazing. Yeah, so to kind of go over some of the people we had, we have Adam Nash. He was the former president and CEO of Wealthfront, which is the big robo-advisor company. He's a current VP at Dropbox, which I'm sure we all use. Mm-hmm. And then he's also on the board of directors of Acorns, which is the kind of micro-investing app where even if you don't have any money to invest, what it does is all like you tie it to your credit card and it just rounds up every purchase to a dollar. And that way, it just invests those, those pennies. So you probably don't even notice it, like the difference between... You know, let's say you go to McDonald's, you buy something for like five sixty nine. It rounds up to six bucks and invests those forty one cents for you into like a low cost index fund. So it's it's kind of like an easy way for even broke people to start investing, and and I think that's super cool. And then the fact that I mean, first off, he came and he spoke to you know the group, and then he was there just like hanging out, you know, and like you can meet him. He even brought his dad there. Yeah, that cool. was really cool. Uh huh. Like the fact that we were, we were like talk to you know someone who. I'm like, I don't know how much Dropbox and Wealthfront is worth, but it's like, I'm assuming like hundreds of millions of dollars. It's like they're big companies. Exactly. I can't even imagine the opportunity cost of him and his time being there. And it was so generous of him to just kind of take the time out, talk to us, and then even answer some questions one-on-one afterwards. Yeah, I thought that was dope. And then Med Faber was there too. So he runs Cambria Investments, which I think has... I want to say, you know what? I don't want. To, I don't want to make up the numbers. Let me Google it right now. Billion dollars. Under oh my management. gosh, that's insane. Uh, I, like I, I wanted. I that's the number I, I had in my mind, and I was like, that sounds like a lot. I don't, I don't want mm-hmm. to stretch this because, like, you know, that's yeah. So he manages a fund that has a billion over a billion dollars under management. That means people and companies have trusted a billion dollars worth of their cash for him to manage and invest. And he came, spoke to us, had beers with us, yeah. and answered everybody's questions. And then he even came to Vegas with us to drive Ferraris around the track. Oh my god! And just hang out. That's insane. Yeah. And the coolest thing about Meb was I went to the, the after party at that, I don't remember the name of that bar, but it was like a super like cool like beachside bar in mm-hmm. uh, Manhattan Beach. Yep. And I remember it was like the other bosses. There was like, you know, I think in that room, they were, you know, like every, everybody there was like a multimillionaire. And it was, I remember them saying like, they're ordering drinks, like margaritas and stuff. And they're like, oh yeah, just put it on, yeah, yeah just put it on Meb's tab. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and it was always kind of like, you know, it was kind of just like funny because I think at that point, like... You know, a twenty dollar drink like doesn't doesn't matter to them at all. And it was funny because when it was time for Meb to pay his bill, the bartender was like, "Hey, just to let you know, like a couple people uh, put their drinks on your tab." And instead of like if the bartender said that to you, you would say, "Which guys? Mm-hmm. How much was it? Yeah. What drinks? Yeah, exactly. Like you'd want to know, right?" Mm-hmm. Meb was like, oh, "That's fine." <laughs> he doesn't even look at the bill. Yeah. <laughs> like, 
Yeah. Like, here you go. Yeah. And I think it's so cool. Like, everybody's so generous and, like, just, I don't know. Like, it's – and just the fact that we're able to hang out with them and have drinks with them and just, like, ask them about their personal life and, like, about investments. And, like, you, you can't get this anywhere else. Exactly. We were playing foosball with some of the speakers. We were having drinks. We were joking around and really just getting on a personal level, most importantly. So tell me some other conference that you can go ahead and do that. And it's it's very rare and hard, hard to come by. So the host of uh, the summit this year was Pure Street, which is a real estate company that does kind of like real estate backed uh, peer-to-peer lending. And first off, they're, they're super cool. Uh, I remember going there the day before to set up and I was hanging out with uh, Brett Crosby, who is the co-founder and the COO, and my cousin Jacob was there, and he was, you know, and he saw us like, and I introduced him. I was like, "Oh yeah, this is uh, this is Brett," and and Brett's like, "Hey, what's up?" He's wearing his like cat backwards, yeah. and we were like moving chairs and everything. And Jacob, you know, like you know, he's he's from Taiwan, right? He's like very Asian. He's a real like real estate agent, very like professional, mm-hmm. and he was like. Why is this guy moving chairs? <laughs> and he's like, we don't do that. Like he's like, like this guy, like it, like he's the director, like you know, he's the CEO of like a of a another billion dollar company. Yeah, yeah, they, it's they up have, there. Yeah, they have a billion dollars under management now, mm-hmm. and they did two billion in transactions last year. And this guy is hanging out with us, <laughs> backwards cap, moving chairs and tables, and like it just kind of shows like the type of like super cool people that. For whatever reason, the Invest Like a Boss podcast and the conference attracts. And I think it's because we're really the only podcast and conference out there that isn't about pushing any one like investment. We're like, we don't have an agenda. We're like two dudes who invest our own money and we talk about what we invest in and we try to find cool stuff that actually works. And I think these guys are probably so sick of the stuffy, you know, white collar investors that like, just push whatever their motive is or just like everything's like through the bank and just like, and you know, this is like, this is so different. Yeah. I, I definitely could appreciate that as well. I mean, I've definitely been to conferences where you're getting pitched and sold on every different instrument, every different asset and getting offered kickbacks here and there. And it was really refreshing to just get, first of all, real hard evidence of what you guys are doing, what mistakes they've made, what recommend- recommendations they have and then again, most importantly, just getting to know them on a personal level. I mean, I, I don't, I can't really recall any other type of investment summit where you could do that one on one. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, if you guys missed it next year, if we do it again, we want it to be bigger, right? So, I mean, like, it might not be as small of a group. But like, we hope it's not going to be that small of a group. We would like it to be more people. But I think the like kind of the philosophy behind it is always going to be the same. It's always going to be we want like real people. We're not selling like like we want to be the only conference where nobody's pitching anything. That that's gonna be like a big uh, a big point of ours. It's like there's no like there's no hard selling. There's no run to the back to you know buy something for a limited time. And also we want people to be able to ask questions and like you know really kind of get that help. And the same thing for the Nomad Summit. That's been our philosophy. Now we've done seven events. And actually, a common question that we still get is, you know, if I come to this conference, like is there like am I just gonna get sold? Like, you know, is it just going to be like a pitch fest? And I'm like, we we have all of our past um, talks on YouTube for free. Like, you can watch them. There's no selling. Like, uh, one of our rules is there's no selling on stage. Every speaker is allowed to share, like, their link on the very last slide and talk about it for more than, no more than 30 seconds. That's it. And it's it's our philosophy as well to, like, 
It's just what really works. And if they happen to have a course or they happen to have a, a software product or, you know, or like a you know, SaaS product, whatever it is, like, and it's something that they use and is good, like, sure, they can mention it. But like, I don't, we don't pick speakers based on like how much money we make from them. You know, like we really want to like bring, you know, introduce people to things that actually work. Yeah, I, I think what's really cool about it for most people kind of getting into it or first time attending, they can figure out what business model they can re- relate to the most. And then afterwards, connect with that speaker one-on-one, hang out with them and really pick their brain on best practices, how they got started, what things they wish they would have known when they started. And then for me, this was my third summit. So it's more on the lines of, okay, let me figure out what the best nuggets are from every speaker and how can I implement some of these best practices into my own business. And then on top of that, you get all the cool networking and kind of getting to see old friends from previous conferences. And so it's a really good time overall. That was actually one of my favorite things about this one in particular is how many people I recognized from previous events. Like now, I think that was our sixth conference. And in the beginning, like the first couple of years, you would see some people like that are repeats. And then this year, I swear it was like 20% of the people there had been to like two or three like, summits in the past. Yeah, it was a good amount. You would think that, you know, most of the digital nomads that are hitting their stride and have made it don't have time for something like this. But it's almost the opposite where this is the one excuse to all fly out together to the same place and kind of hang out for two, three, even four weeks and, you know, really catch up with some friends that you rarely get to see in your neck of the woods because some people have different favorite places that they like to be based out in the world. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. And I think it's super cool that a lot of people who have made it, like, just want to give back and help people out. Like, there's so many people who are successful. I, I just saw them, like, helping people out that are just starting, you know. And, like, and even with the workshops, there's, like, people, like, went super in-depth. Like, even, like, uh, last minute, we threw, we put together another workshop with CJ. And he – because he was originally supposed to be there. And then – he didn't respond to me in time and we had to book someone else. And then he was like, oh man, I really wanted to like help people out and do this. So then we figured out a way where he was just able to do it at Selena uh, after the conference. And it was like a ton of people, like 30 people in there, 40 people. And they like, and like from what everyone said, they're like, man, like I learned so much just from that. Like, it's just like people want to give back. Exactly. I think a few people that were supposed to go home or fly home after the Cancun week ended up going down to Playa just to see CJ and RJ's workshop. So, you know, I always get a cool couple nuggets from their demonstration and panel. And I hope, you know, it sounded like a a real good feedback from everyone that was there. Yeah, it's dope. And all the speakers are like killing it too. Like one of the reasons why we only have normally like seven keynote speakers and we honestly try to have six only is because that allows me to really curate the best six and make sure their talks are super on point like super valuable because if people are going to sit through a longer talk, like a 40-minute talk, I want it to be really valuable and I want it to apply to everyone. I want every single person to be able to learn from it, even if they didn't think that was their their niche or like that's their business. And the problem with like the way we do it is it it doesn't – like it'd be easier if we just said like, oh, whoever wants to speak, I, I'll just like very lightly vet them and just have like – we have 30 speakers over three days, but – there's no way you can vet 30 speakers. Like even if I had a team of people just vetting them, you know how hard it is to find 30 really quality talks and then train all of them, like we have them rehearse and have them be all like that good on point. It's really hard. So anytime I've ever seen a conference that had 30 speakers, usually 24 of them were crap. And there was maybe five really good ones or three really good ones. 
our goal is just to give you just the real good ones. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty diverse too, where typically I'll find one or two that I'm really interested in. But because you go all day and you tend every single panel, you get some of the best advice and best nuggets out of the ones that you would least expect. And then so it's that important to kind of just go through the whole thing. And it's only six, so it's not 30. And you, you know, it's, it, you could sit through all of them and really be engaged. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Like, that's a big reason also why we have just one main room instead of having like two like separate rooms and having because a lot of conferences they'll say okay you can either listen to this talk or this talk the problem is a lot of times people either want to listen to both or they don't want to listen to any and then what ends up happening is you you end up missing really good stuff i'm a big believer that the things that we need the most to grow in life and our business are probably things that are, are outside of our normal like field or places we're looking already it's like every single guy that just goes to the gym and lifts weights and does nothing else would benefit a lot from, you know, probably going for a run one, like once a week or doing yoga once a week. While people who just run and never lift weights would probably benefit from lifting some weights. And same, same with people who are super flexible and they just do yoga every day, they would probably also benefit from doing some sprints or lifting some weights once in a while. And, but that's not where they're looking. You know, they're looking for like a runner is just going to look at running magazines. You know, like a, a person who loves yoga is just going to be hanging out with other yogis. But to really learn and grow, like we have to kind of look at the other points of view and be like, oh man, that person has something to teach me or I should be doing that with my business. Some of the best advice will come from that kind of cross-training mentality where you kind of pick someone's brain that's in a totally different industry and some of their best practice might give you a light bulb moment to try in your business. So I agree with that as well. Yeah, like some of our speakers that we had, like we have Jeffrey Marr, whose business has nothing to do with anything probably any of us do, right? He he created a company that does like animation videos for other companies, like explainer videos. And you might look at that and be like, how, how would that help me at all? But when you go through his talk, you're like, man, this guy's a freaking genius. Like, you know, and like, it, I remember one big key, key takeaway was when he was going through this he was basically a freelancer and he was learning how to do you know, like use the you know these like uh editing softwares and at a point people wanted adobe after effects and he's like oh man this is gonna take me like two years to learn how to do this should i spend the next you know six months or two years learning and trying to master after effects and continue to be a freelancer or is this my time to just hire someone who already knows after effects and really be a business owner and like that applies to everyone. Like no matter what business or skill you're in, you're gonna hit that roadblock one day, that fork in the road. And if you had like heard the backstory of the talk and where it led to, you'll know next time like you're a fork in the road, it's probably a good question to ask yourself. Like, do I wanna be a business owner or do I wanna be an employee? That cash flow quadrants book is so important in terms of getting your mindset from the you know, employee to even the freelancer to eventually become the investor or business owner because a lot of different successful people that I've met own different companies that they weren't formally trained in or don't even specialize in themselves. I met someone with a, a programming company where this guy was a sales guy and basically just connected the dots of, hey, let me find clients and let me outsource it to these experts. So being able to kind of make that pivot is extremely important when it comes to scaling your business. Yeah, I definitely agree. And also bring in like different types of marketing. Like Chris Tan talked about using like messenger bots 
to you know instead of email lists. And a lot of like a lot of people don't like never even thought about doing that. Like they didn't think that their business would need it. But there's so many there were so many benefits of that. And then Ben Hughes from Blinkist, which is another huge company, it was really cool where instead of having a freelancer or a remote worker give a talk about you know how to be a good remote worker, we actually had someone who runs the team as a remote mm-hmm. <laughs> talking about how to manage a team remotely. Because think about it. It's one. It's good to be a remote worker. It's better to be the leader and still be able to be remote and have a whole team under you. He even shared a lot of the pros and cons of managing a remote team because it's all. It's not all fun and games when it comes to managing a remote team. There are some downsides where face to face meetings can communicate effectively and at a much faster speed of trust versus virtually. And so he had a good section where even something as simple as emails to kind of read it twice, think about it. Because even if you have like a kind of calm and nonchalant email, it could be interpreted the opposite, maybe even aggressive to some people. Yeah. And actually that was a really good point where he said that it's always going to be one step difference. So if it's a neutral email, it'll generally be seen as negative. If it's upbeat, it'll be seen as neutral. So you always kind of have to have it like as kind as possible. Like, if, like, unless you are trying to piss the person, person off. And one of my favorite talks that kicked it off was Sergio Sala, because he is a local Mexican entrepreneur who has, you know, figured it out, really. He, you know, and there's so many people in Mexico who make, you know, a couple hundred bucks an hour, like a, a month. I think the average salary is still way less than $700, even if you work for a company, even if you're living in, like, big city, like Mexico City or Palo Carmen. And the fact that he went, you know, like from either being, you know, just like poor or in the best case scenario, making $700 a month to now making $70,000 a year as an entrepreneur, like while being raised in Mexico and in a small town in Tabasco, which most people never heard of besides the sauce. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like the fact that he's done that and he's able to share kind of the journey, like and us being in Mexico, like that was really cool. It was awesome. We were actually walking to lunch one of the days and some girl walked up to us and was like, Sergio, is that you? And then kind of said hello. So that that was awesome. You could kind of see the impact that he's making to even the locals out here. Yeah. And like, actually that same thing happened too. I was walking to my lunch and someone was like, hey, you Sergio. <laughs> That's dope. I really like it. Mm-hmm. And then we had all the workshops. We had Joanne who talked about building strong business mindset. Mike Lorosa talked about credit card and rewards hacking for travel. Uh, Chris Tan went deeper into actually how to build the messenger bot. And then we had Crystal Pino, who talked about tax savings for digital nomads. And what was really cool is a few people told me, they're like, man, like this trip paid for itself just because of this workshop we went to. Yeah, there was definitely some some good nuggets in the workshops. And what was cool with Mike is we ended up being in the same industry. So that was pretty awesome. And just learning how the travel hacking whole game works is fascinating upon itself but every single talk and every single panel was super interesting yeah and so the reason why we actually started uh introducing the workshops was because i didn't want to have the more talks on the main day because it's, it's a long day and then if, if, I, if we had a second main day at first off i think it'll be really long but second the the ticket prices will literally double because the biggest cost we have is renting the convention center and then feeding everybody that day uh, we always provide lunch as like a buffet lunch. First, it just saves time because everyone can just go and eat. 
but also it's a networking thing where everyone can sit together, like talk about the, the you know what they've learned so far, and you know we have coffee, you know, between all the, all the sessions and snacks and water, just because it's like it's kind of vital if you're gonna be in a conference. You know, conference. Mm-hmm. So these are things we can't skip on, like skip on, and even though like compared to most conferences, even if we charge five hundred dollars, it'd still be really cheap. But we really wanted to be available for all like everyone even who are just starting out and a lot of people who are living in places like mexico or in chiang mai are kind of on a budget so like our goal is to always have tickets be less than 300 dollars. it's at a pretty good price point where most people will have skin in the game so they kind of block out that date make some flight plans but also not small enough where you kind of brush it off like a few days before so it's kind of a good kind of point i mean i've been to a lot of real estate conferences where they're 500 to a thousand and so, I mean, it's a, it's a really good deal. Highly recommend it to people just kind of checking out the scene, especially. Yeah. And like, I, we survey people like afterwards and like, and we always ask, you know, like, was it a great value? Was it an okay value? Or was it a bad value? And every year, like, you know, I think it's something like 85 or 90% of people, or maybe more, I don't remember the exact numbers. They're like, it was, it was a great value or at least like it was good value. And there's always like literally two people out of every conference out of a couple hundred like 400 people or like 200 people that didn't like it and unfortunately we can't make everyone happy you know like i wish we can just like weed them out so they don't waste their time coming in the first place but in general it's people who either think that they already know everything or are looking for some kind of like magic formula or like super cynical that like nothing works you know like i remember like one person was like yeah, everybody there was, you know, it was too, um, I forgot the word to use. Like, but he basically like, yeah, everyone there, like, you know, like says everything works and like, you know, like I don't believe them. And I'm like, why don't you talk to other like people sitting next to you? Like not even the speakers, the organizers, just talk to the other attendees and be like, hey, what business do you do? Because they have nothing to sell you, you know, and there's so many successful people in the audience. And that's kind of the, the big, like the probably the best part of these live conferences isn't just the speakers. It's literally the other attendees you meet. Yeah, I would say a lot of people would compare it to, let's say, worst case scenario. They're like, oh, you're just paying for your friends for a network or, you know, they're not giving you the step-by-step on how to do everything exact or they don't have the time to give out any handouts to kind of show you the direct way. It's kind of like, hey, we're, we're showing you, you know, how to do these things, but it's also up to you to execute. There's so many different ideas out there and, and most of these speakers are showing the bare bones kind of spark notes of it. It's up to you to do further research. It's up to you to talk one-on-one to that speaker and do the homework when you get back home. So it's not like we're going to spoon feed you. Um, and so that's my biggest thing. And the biggest takeaway that I get from a lot of, uh, speakers and mostly attendees, I get a lot of value from the most low key people that aren't a speaker that have no YouTube channel, no Instagram, no Facebook, and they're the most low key with the best advice, best business experiences, best business practices. And those are the most open to be like, hey, these are what my downfalls and pitfalls were. And I wish I would have known some of these things. And now you don't have to make these mistakes. Yeah. I, I, I love that you said that. And like the fact that you know, you're an attendee, like mm. you have nothing to sell. Exactly. Exactly. You know? And like, you know, it, it's... It really comes from the heart, like when you just speak to other people, like, and you know mm-hmm. for sure you can look them in the eye, you can you can get to know them, you know. And you're like, this is just a normal dude. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because it seems online like all the successful people have YouTube channels and books and courses. Those are just the people that have time to post about it and have incentive to post about it. 
there's way more people who are successful that never post anything that don't even have like a- accounts you know maybe they have a personal like instagram or facebook but like most of them like 95 99% of people don't have a course don't have a youtube channel but they're still successful most people will probably think, oh, why is this guy so gung-ho about the Nomad Summit and, you know, agreeing with all this stuff? But it's like just a year ago, I was, you know, 180 difference of where I was at. So, you know, it's kind of like being at the third summit. It's it's almost crazy to see how far not only myself, but the other people that we all met a year ago in Vegas of how far we've come in one year. So if, if you're kind of wondering, oh, why is this guy agreeing with everything? Why is this guy talking it up? It's like, you know, for me... My priority is let me take care of myself, let me take care of my family. And once I have those two done, let me kind of spread the word because it's almost like, you know, I want everyone to have that option. It's like, what were we talking about earlier? If everyone knew this was out there and this was all possible, like that's what I want as well. It's just more of my friends to know and everyone else in my industry that it's all possible. And just, you know, start off by watching the videos for for a year or two and then muster up the energy to go to a, a local nomad summit. So kind of go through the motions and you know, put your mind to it and it could happen. Yeah, that's really cool advice. And actually, the funny thing about what you said about like people saying like you're paying to meet friends. I don't think of it as paying to meet friends, but I would pay to filter out the people who are either too cheap or have such a, like a like a scarcity mindset where they wouldn't be willing to pay 150 bucks to go to something that's organized, that feeds you, that like has, you know, all these events like around it. Like... The fact is when you go to a paid event, whether it's 150 bucks or a $5,000 event like I went to with, with Tony Robbins, it really filters out the people who have like the, the scarcity mentality. They're like, nothing works. Everything, you know, everything's a scam. Everything, nothing, you know, like it's all BS or even just like, like you can't do it. Like, or like life, you know, life sucks, <laughs> you know, like that really kind of negative people. There are so many of them, not only in the world like especially online mm-hmm. and on in fr- like and even at free events like it just everyone everyone can be there so like you kind of have a random mix of people but when someone invests money to actually go to a conference especially if they're flying there they're staying at the hotel like it ends up being like a decent amount of money and the fact that they're willing to invest you know 500 bucks or a thousand bucks into themselves like that's normally the type of people who are optimistic hardworking. And they're probably either already or going to be successful. If you're willing to put skin in the game and continue your personal growth and education, I'm sure you're already doing it with your own business. I'm sure you're probably making those profits and reinvesting back in your company. And those are the type of people that are coming to these conferences. No internet troll is going to pay a few hundred dollars or a thousand bucks to just go talk a bunch of crap on all of these speakers and in person. You know, these these are probably the brightest minds that are like, hey. I'm going to invest in myself and I'm going to make the best out of this networking and these panels and go out of my way to reach out to these speakers one-on-one. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And it's not just the Nomad Summit. Like, it's not just the Invest Like a Boss Summit. It's literally whatever is in your field that you would benefit from. So if you're in real estate and you're like, you know what? I need to figure out how to, you know, acquire more properties. Go do a, like a conference that just fo- focuses on that. You know, like if you're like, like if you want to, you know, like if you want to expand your network for whatever business you did, find something that's very specific to that and spend the money to go. And that's why people spend, you know, five hundred or thousand dollars to go to real estate conferences is because not only they're going to learn something, but they're also going to meet like people who can potentially make them tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars. One deal will make up for 
all the money you've spent for that conference and your accommodations and that whole trip. And just don't be afraid to just go up to people that you admire or kind of want to pick their brain. Obviously, don't come up to them with no background of what they do or what the industry does. Obviously, come prepared, do your homework and ask these good questions to, you know, show them that, hey, you know, you're really interested. You've done your research and you just need to kind of connect the dots a little bit better. And if I was that panel speaker, I'd be like, hey, you know, this guy did his homework, took the time and energy. I kind of see something in myself from this person, maybe back when I started. So that's that's kind of what I would hope would happen. Yeah, definitely. And another kind of big networking trick is don't come with a stack of business cards and just like spam people with it. Nobody wants your card. Like seriously, nobody wants your card, mm-hmm. especially if you're just going to hand it out like like it's, you know, like pieces of paper. What I like about the way that we do the conference is we have, you know, the whole day, the networking, the pre-registration parties, and then all the after events. And we do that on purpose so people can get to know each other naturally. Like nobody was handing out business cards at the Nomad Summit. Or even invest like a boss. Mm-hmm. Like people were just getting to know each other, you know, over drinks, over lunch, over coffee. We had, a, we had like a casual beach day, you know, in Vegas. We had that Vegas trip where, and it wasn't even like, it's not even expensive. I mean, like, like literally we, we had like, if even in Vegas, there was the option to take the bus to Vegas. We had, we, we left enough time. We were like, if you leave in the morning, like we, we can meet here at this time. We met at the Cosmo. Just don't drink. <laughs> it's not going to cost you anything, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and then we went to go drive Ferraris, which sounds expensive, but literally the lowest package they had was seventy dollars, where you can take a Porsche out and you can hang out there the whole day. To pay seventy dollars to be around that many cool exotic cars for the whole day with all these multi-millionaire investors running, like managing billions of dollars. Like you can't pay seven, you can't you can't find a way to get seventy bucks to do that. That's honestly where the real relationships are formed and kind of bonded is through those really like lifetime experiences like that too. Yeah, and then here in Playa Carmen, like the fact that you're sitting next to people on a bus for an hour going from Cancun to Playa Carmen, or for the side trips like going to Chichen Itza, you're sitting on the bus for like an hour and forty minutes, and then you're hanging out with people like all these same tours having you know, meals together, we're going on a scuba diving boat together. If you were like a just a normal, cool person, like not even, you don't even have to be super outgoing. You can just be like a normal person. You know, you'll get to know like pretty much everyone there. And especially if you stay the whole week or two weeks after. Actually thinking about it, I think the tough part about a lot of conferences in general is that there's so many people and it's really hard to make memorable relationships at that event. So you might maybe meet five or 10 people and really, you know, talk business or at each other on LinkedIn or what have you. But a lot of the real bonding and experiences come from maybe waiting in line for lunch, grabbing a coffee, kind of, you know, running into each other, checking into the hotel, and especially at those extracurricular activities where there's like an hour of downtime where you grab an ice cream at like some random city or scuba diving or all of these different activities where it's like, hey, you know, a year ago we met at this, remember? And it's so memorable and that's a real bonding experience. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. So so I hope you guys got a lot of takeaways, not just for, you know, our conferences or my conferences, even though I would like everyone to come and to the next Nomad Summit, you know, if we do the, another Investing like a Boss Summit, I would love for you guys to go. But th- these are tips and tricks that you can take away really for anything in your life, any conference you go to, any seminar you go to, you know, or even just networking in general. So, uh, Rainier, thanks so much for coming on and doing this recap. 
Thanks for coming out to the Nomad Summit for three years in a row now. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It's been really cool and always a good time hanging out with everyone. Cool. I hope to see all of you guys in the next one. Uh, if people want to get in touch, are you on like Instagram, on social media or anything? Uh, it's Rainier Nanquil. So I'll, I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. Uh, feel free to shoot me a DM anytime. Okay. Cool. So uh, hasta luego, guys. Hope to see you at the next Nomad Summit. The next one is going to be in Chiang Mai, Thailand, January the weekend of January, is, I think, 17th to the 21st in Chiang Mai. That's our big event. We're going to have about 400-plus digital nomads there and location-dependent entrepreneurs from all around the world. Right now, pre-sale tickets are on sale before we announce all the speakers and get all the final details together. So the prices right now are 50% off. So you can get tickets for much, much cheaper than if you wait a few months for us to announce everything. But we've done this now. This is going to be our seventh one. They've all been good. So we promise you this one's going to be great as well. So get those. You want to save some money, make your plans to go out to Thailand. And my suggestion is to at least come a few days before, just to kind of chill out, get settled in, get over jet lag. If you want, just come all of like November, December, January, just because it's a great time to be there anyways and network. Mm-hmm. But definitely, definitely, definitely stay at least one or two weeks afterwards so you can do all the activities, hang out with each other and get to know each other. So adios amigos. See you at the next conference. Hasta luego. Thank you for listening to the Travel Like a Boss podcast. If you want to hear more, including the bonus, how to choose the perfect niche episode, join our mailing list at travellikeabosspodcast.com. See you next week. And remember, if you want to travel like a boss, you need to be your own boss. So start your online business today and start living the lifestyle you've always dreamed of.